Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. John 20, verses 3 to 5 Mary Magdalene had been to the tomb, found the stone rolled away, and run back to Simon Peter and John, to tell them that Jesus had been taken away. This news sets the men in motion. We see them running, looking inside the tomb, finding it devoid of a body, only the linen wrappings remaining. Not understanding what has happened or putting together the words Jesus spoke to them while he still lived about rebuilding the temple in three days, they returned to their homes. Not Mary. I love this part. She's crying, and in her sorrow, she bends down to look inside the tomb, and there are two angels who ask her why she is weeping. With tears still in her eyes, she turns and looks into the garden and sees a man. It is Jesus, only she doesn't recognize him yet. He asks her the same question the angels have just asked. And she, presuming he's the gardener, pleads with him, saying, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. Jesus says her name, Mary, and immediately she recognizes him. Jesus tells her, do not hold on to me, and I like to imagine she's flung her arms around him. How about you? He explains why she needs to let him go. I have not yet ascended to my father and your father, my God and your God. He sends her with this message to his disciples, and off she goes obediently. On Good Friday... Our priest quoted a man as describing Christ's act of dying on the cross for our sins as preposterous. What Jesus did was utterly absurd and true. Let's live with the certainty of eternity, won for us by this preposterous act, and say, Alleluia, he is risen indeed. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to dispel the preconceived ideas some may have about what educating our children at home looks like. For many, it's school. For me, it suited the mavericks that lurked within when I decided I didn't want to miss anything my children were doing by handing them over to folk who were not their mother. Together, we came up with a lifestyle that will leave me knowing without a doubt that I gave my all and my children are well equipped to go it alone as the unique beings they were encouraged to be. Over the years I've spoken to a wide range of mothers and fathers from the secular to the missionary, the academic to the child-led. Schooling becomes a suffix from home to boat, from biking to the world. We'll do it anywhere. In my journey, I've used the tools God gave me to live my life fully. Really, it's all there, inside me. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones, children will do that for you, gaining insights and delights along the way which I'm happy to share with you. 
No matter how you view education with homeschooling, I took one step at a time into a world where I could embrace the learning that takes place around me and inspire others with the help of my guests along the way. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy and sometimes frustrating. But for me it starts and ends with God, the beauty of His creation, a smiling face, the rising moon, a rousing piece of music or a simple hug. If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of PG tips to fortify this time together and a piece of Italian wedding cake to tickle your taste buds. And thank you for staying. But I understand you're on that side and I'm over here broadcasting from Richardson, Texas before we head off to Florida. After the first break, Brenda Nixon will be back with me to continue our conversation from a couple of weeks ago about a closed faith order. Brenda and her husband have opened their home to ex-Amish teens from the Swartz and Truber order. She's come up, she's coming up after my first break, so you'll want to stick around. And I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNennies, where we're off on an adventure to enjoy each other's company in someone else's home. Are you ready? This week... I'm going to explore a question my homeschooling mentee posed when I went to visit her and her lovely family, a 14-year-old boy and 11-year-old twins and the lone girl who's eight. I love visiting this friend. She read the draft of my book a long time ago and decided that she could embrace the lifestyle I was modelling. She'd met the whole clan at church one Sunday and thought, they don't look like homeschoolers. Evidently, our appearance alone broke at least one stereotype she held before her about this subculture. She's caught up in the life of encouraging her children's passions, which are varied and in keeping with their personalities, and she's finding it fascinating that they're all so different. I asked her how she was getting along and wasn't really surprised by the age-old complaint amongst us homeschooling mums about whether she was doing enough. Am I neglecting my daughter? Are my twins writing enough? Is my oldest proficient in math to start algebra? To that last question, I reminded her she was the math tutor here, not I. She had fallen into the trap of making comparisons with other families, a condition always hounded by that nagging doubt. She participates in a science co-op, and her oldest had been assigned an essay of a thousand words using MLA format. She assuaged her own reservations by commenting that given a word count in the first place causes the student to focus on length, not content. From experience, I observed this is how college will be with some professors. You never know what they're going to ask for or how much they're going to presume their students already know. As a homeschooler, you may not have exactly prepared your child to use the MLA format for an essay or expected your daughter to produce an exact word count. But formats are easily found online and wordiness can be mastered quickly. While I understand the curse of self-doubt, we talked about our reasons for educating our own, our methods, what was important to us. Quite honestly, how can we all teach exactly the same thing to our children since when we all have different focuses? For that level of uniformity, the public schools are perfect, but we decided against public school for that very reason. No room for creativity or passion following. Just celebrate our uniqueness. Don't get bogged down in comparisons and doubt. Traditional schooling teaches to the state test. At home, we can tailor each child's learning to his skills and interests and change our focus every semester 
if we so choose. The big picture is much more important. If college is required in your household, then give your child the tools rather than fill his head with standard academic literature he may or may not need. For example, in our household, we learned English history. At college, my students learned American history, which came to them as refreshingly new material which they eagerly absorbed from their vibrant history buffs who were their teachers. They knew their stuff much better than I did. I assured my friend that the first two years of college covered a lot of the material typically covered by high school, leaving her free to teach other things that may be closer to her heart or theirs. This gives her plenty of room to read maybe heroic biographies, Christian apologetics, narrative poetry or extensive rock climbing. Another skill for college is that cross-age group immersion that we shine in as homeschoolers is prevalent, the ability to be comfortable around adults. Professors love to see their students and keep office hours specifically for this purpose. One professor I know told me he can tell homeschool students because they ask questions and are more curious than their public school peers. He says the love of learning hasn't been taken out of them. My friend was also worried about her youngest. Was she being eclipsed by the others? On reflection, I saw that my youngest led the trail she wanted to pursue, and initially it was what the older ones were up to, so her education got a bit fuzzy until her siblings left for college, leaving her at home alone with me. We then were able to focus on her. Well, I thought of that, my friend said. Perhaps I can teach her how to read when she's 18. Well, in a moment, I'm delighted that I'll be welcoming back my guest from a month ago, Brenda Nixon. Brenda used to host her own radio show, The Parents Plate, here on Toginet, where she blended practical parenting tips with child development. Today, we're airing the second part of our conversation, where we talked about her experience with the ex-Amish and how she and her husband have opened their hearts and home to Amish who are transitioning into English life. This week, we'll be talking about education and working. With that, it's time for me to go on my first break. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio. I'm Vivian McNenny. Go replenish your drink, and I'll be back with Brenda Nixon after these messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNenny, The Sociable Homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. 
And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Brenda, thank you so much for joining me again um, this afternoon. We're going to be talking um, about your ex-Amish boys that you have in your home and you have a son-in-law as well that you told us about in our last show. Um, this time what I want to talk about is education. What what does one of these um, ex-Amish look like when they come out of their community? Are they equipped to go straight to work if that's what they want to do? If they've got a friend on the outside who's already working, can they just go straight in and get a job? How easy or how difficult is that? Well, the ones that I have worked with, again, you know, come out of the Schwarzenegger order. And because most of the mothers do home birth, often they do not file a birth certificate because the parents believe their child was born and will be raised and live and die Amish. So in many cases, not all, but in many cases, there's no birth certificate on record. Hmm. Uh, um, Or if the parent did fill out a birth certificate... They never paid to get a copy of it to give to their child. Okay. Now, in the case of Mosey, who left upstate New York, Schwartz and Trubert order, he did not have a copy of his birth certificate. And he did go back to his house one Sunday when his family was away at church, and he looked through all his father's files, and he did, in fact, find birth certificates for all of his siblings. And remember, he's in the middle of 12, but he could not find his own. Uh-huh. So he is convinced his father took it with him because the father knew having a birth certificate would give him an element of freedom. So Mosey ended up going to the county seat where he was born and paid to have a copy of his own birth certificate. Monroe, who is out of the Schwarzenegger order here in Ohio, he had nothing. He did not exist. Mm. We went to the health department to check vital statistics. There was no record of his birth, nothing. So we had to get a letter from the health department. They had no record of Monroe's birth, and we had to take that to a probate judge and have a probate judge issue a delayed birth certificate. And then with that, we had to go get his Social Security number, which is what all the other boys and girls have had to do is a file for a Social Security number for the first time in their life. And, of course, with that, then, they're are eligible to get a job, a bank account, and on and on, on and on. Again, things we are used to and accustomed to because we've grown up with it in our system. Um, and getting a birth certificate for Monroe is extremely challenging because he was only 17. There was nothing on record. And um, his parents, of course, were very distraught that he had left the Schwarzenegger Order of Amish. They were not going to support him. They were not going to sign anything. They would not attest to his birth. They wouldn't sign an affidavit. So his sister, who left at the same time and who was 19, she then signed an affidavit that, yes, this was his true birth date. And she was present at his birth, not literally, but in the house. Yeah. And then with that, we went and got a Social Security. And it's just the the paperwork that is involved in trying to establish yourself as, you know, an independent U.S. citizen is very difficult for some of the Amish because they don't have experience with that. And they've never had parents guide them through that because parents don't want them to leave. No, no. And so these communities, I suppose, are are tax exempt. Well, that's debatable. A lot of Amish 
do in fact pay taxes. People mm-hmm. don't realize that, but a lot of them have businesses and the businesses deal with English or outsiders. And so, yeah, they pay, you know, business, per- personal and property taxes. Some do not, some do. And I, I don't know who does and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I do know among Schwartz and Truber, and it could be this way with other orders of Amish, a child doesn't become of age until he is 21. So any money he earns from the time he finishes school at eighth grade up through, you know, his uh, adulthood of 21, any money has to go to the father. Okay. So you take a case in point, Mosey, um, 12 children in the family. If all 12 children are working and giving money to the father, that's a pretty good backdoor income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the, because they're working within the community and for each other, that's why there's no need for a social security. In God. many cases, yeah. some have them. Some have them. Um, you know, I mean, I know one who is a business owner, and he uh, does um, uh, flooring on the wholesale market. So the flooring will go to major retail outlets like Lowe's and, and Home Depot and stuff. And obviously, he has everything he needs to run a business. He has all the paperwork. He's an LLC. He has uh, birth certificate, Social Security, and everything. And yet, he, he is a Swartz and Truber Amish. Uh, okay. So we've got there's, there's difference. Yeah, we've got we've got these uh, this, this community of people who are very closed, closed faith, and they have an education no. up to eighth grade. Their teachers, correct. Their teachers are Amish. And yes. their doctors, do they have doctors in the community, hospitals? Um, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Uh, um, again, it depends on the order. Some of the more pro- progressive orders, sure, they'll, you know, go to regular doctors and dentists and, you know, and all of that. Um, but again, the very strict old order, and there's even different layers among old orders, and the Schwartz and Trubers, generally do not go to outside doctors or dentists. They have their own who are self-trained with an eighth-grade education. There's no licensure, no accountability. That's pretty scary. It is. It is. There, there have to be emergencies that, that occur. What do they do in those situations? Well, unfortunately, in some emergency situations where you and I would whisk our child off to the emergency room, they will run to an Amish person Mm. to do homemade remedies. And I know of one child who died because the parents trusted the Amish homemade medicine rather than going to an emergency room for outsiders who are professionally trained. So eighth grade education, once they leave their community, they get their GEDs? Do they do they automatically want to go and get a GED? Do they have to? How does that work? They do not automatically want to because they don't understand the need for more education. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to, but face it, you know, if you don't have at least a GED, you can't even apply for some jobs. So with some of them, it'll take about a year for them to begin realizing a GED is our standard of 8th grade. You know, it's our completed. Mm -hmm. They've completed what they've been required to as an Amish. You know, they fulfilled their 8th grades. Um, But on the outside, we have a minimum of high school diploma or a GED. 
and so sometimes it'll, you know, they're, they're trying so hard to get established and learn our ways and get clothing and hygiene products and a job and a car and a place to live. You know, getting an advanced education, in their opinion, you know, a GED is not even on a hierarchy of needs. But after about a year, they, they begin seeing that sometimes you know, studying and earning a GED could in fact open new doors for them. Plus it would give them a feeling of accomplishment. It's just one more step into successfully living um, on the outside, you know, outside of the Amish world. And I've known some who've gone on to college. I know a few who are now nurses, uh, one who earned a, a law degree. <laughs> you know? yeah, I- so it's, yeah, they're, they're, those are the exceptional ones. Um, but, you know, a lot of of them really struggle to try to earn at least a GED. And one factor that it's a struggle for them is they never learned a lot of advanced math concepts. They never studied sociology or uh, geography or history. And so these are, are sciences. These are things that are way beyond uh, their previous education. And so they're learning it on a high school level. And English is their second language. So they really truly struggle uh, for the most part, on studying and getting ready to take a GED. And so when they do pass the GED, we have a party for them. That is an accomplishment that deserves a pat on the back. That's great. That's great. And and you're right. What what kind of – they may be getting an eighth-grade edu- education, but it is a, is it a similar education to our public school education, or is it just something that they do within their community? Well, um, again, depending on the school, depending on the Amish settlement, um, it's somewhat similar in that they do have to learn English and they do have to learn uh, writing and they do learn simple math and uh, they will learn more in the upper grades like, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth grade. They'll start learning German, uh, which is the language they speak when they go to church. Um, Somewhat similar. Uh, but and it may even be in their book or in their curriculum to learn other subjects. But depending on the teacher and the settlement, they may or may not learn mm. any. When Mosey was trying to study for his GED here in Ohio, he's since moved to North Carolina. He brought home homework on the solar system. He was clueless. What is a solar system? Yeah. He didn't know what that meant whatsoever in his coming up years. And the rationale behind the Amish only going through eighth grade is they believe that that's the basic of what they will need to live and survive and be productive within the Amish world. They don't believe in more education. With no access, tell us what it's like for them with no access to any kind of digital technology. So these boys are now surrounded. I mean, America just can't exist without digital technology. How, how did they react to that? What, what, what has been their um, response to all of that? Well, the Amish are not supposed to have electricity, radios, telephones, any of that. But, you know, they sneak it in. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, those kids break rules just like our kids break the rules and push the envelope. Um, most of the young men and women that I know, 
they snuck in cell phones and things when they were still Amish. They just kept it from their parent, kept it from the bishop. Um, if at an English-owned business, after they finish their eighth grade training, um, obviously they're going to be exposed to telephones, electricity, technology, and stuff like that. Uh, Monroe was very forthright in telling me how he got around the rules. He said he would actually take a battery and hook it up to a DVD player, and he'd sneak that up to his bedroom at night, lock the door, and he'd watch movies. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, you know, they think of ways to kind of push the envelope and get around the rules. And, again, without any supervision, without any guidance, I, I don't know what kind of videos he selected to watch. I, I would hope that they were a little bit wholesome. <laughs> he also told me that his friends, his his peer group all had cell phones as well. But, of course, they kept them hidden from parents and watchful eyes of other adults and the bishop. But during church, when they were praying and the heads were bowed, he and his friends would pull out their cell phones and take pictures of them. <laughs> really? really? How did they find out about it in the first place, this this technology and the fact that there were cell phones out there, obviously it's going, there's an underground movement going on. And where did they get the money to, to do that? I suppose they might just be to-go phones. They wouldn't have to have a plan, perhaps. Or... Right. Yeah, yeah, they'll get to-go phones, and they might get that money from a tip they got at their job. Or if they got paid, they wouldn't give all of that money to the father okay. as they're supposed to do until they turn 21. Um, so they might hold back a little bit of that or they might have a little, little odd job, you know, just one day doing something and somebody gave them some cash. So they have ways of getting cash. Uh, you know, they kind of puzzle it together and they'll, yeah, they'll go buy, uh, um, to go cell phone plans. Um, one young man, Jonas, he told me he found a cell phone once when he was Amish, mm -hmm. but he knew nothing about it. Mm -hmm. He just saw the cell phone. So he picked it up and started pushing buttons thinking he could get automatically connected with people. Mm -hmm. He didn't know anything about it. He was just imitating behaviors he had seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when they, when they come out of the Amish, I think some of them are blown away by all the technology, the choices of television channels and programs, a lot of them enjoy just the, the simple, silly things like cartoons or um, slapstick like Three Stooges and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I can always tell when somebody's just come out of the Amish because they will want to sit and watch TV. Again, almost like a little child would spend their Saturday morning watching cartoons. You know, I'm just trying to imagine life with no electricity because everywhere I look, something's plugged in. Um, the winter, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can understand winters. You can just, just, you know, have a fire to keep warm. But hot summers, do you get really hot summers there in yeah, yeah. So, what, what, oh, think, yeah. how do they stay cool if they have to wear certain clothes? I mean, there's no spaghetti straps, or you know, oh no, uh -uh. <laughs> short, short shorts, or sandals, or anything like yeah. that. No, it's what you get used to. You know, I mean, if you live without air conditioning, you just kind of get used to it, and you're pretty heat tolerant. Yeah. Um, 
they also may have buildings that they can go to uh, that, to cool off in maybe an English store. Maybe they'll go to Walmart or some English okay. uh, uh, buildings. Or some of them have what we call ice houses, which is you know down below ground where they'll put blocks of ice and then they'll store uh, fragile foods. And so they might go down to the ice house and cool off. So they are able to go out into the community. You just said to go to a Walmart, but are we talking about some of the Amish orders, but the Schwartz and Truber order probably can't do that, or are they allowed to? Um, they can ride their buggy into town okay. and go to the store. Um, one Schwartz and Truber man I know... Um, he's 31, he's married and has five children, and he told me, now he's left the Amish, so he's English now, but he told me his children have never been inside a Walmart store, mm-hmm. so he wasn't even accustomed to taking his children into town. All right, Brenda, we need to go on a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm talking to Brenda Nixon, and we're talking about her experience with the ex-Amish. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman. On toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Brenda, let's talk about faith within this community, the, the Schwartz and Traber community. And closed faith, what exactly does that mean? And what is their view of salvation? Well, you know, it's interesting because people call the Amish a faith where I prefer to call it a culture mm-hmm. that developed from or evolved from a faith. Um, there are some of the progressive, more uh, modern Amish that do preach out of the English version of the Bible and they do preach about salvation as an act of faith. But in the very conservative orders, uh, many of the conservative old order and the Schwarzenegger order um yes they believe in jesus yes they believe jesus died on the cross Mm -hmm. but that's pretty much where it ends because 
Their salvation is through following all the rules, obeying parents, and parents are seen as equal to God, obeying all the rules of the ordinung, and being Amish. Those are the way that you hopefully will earn your way into heaven. So it's through works. Correct. They came out of the Anabaptist, and the Anabaptists at the time were resisting some of the Roman Catholic rule, and one of that being that infants can be baptized, and the Anabaptists disagreed, said no, it should be an adult who can make a free will, free will choice of baptism, and it should be the baptism of an adult who is a believer, who is, you know, one of the fold, and because of the issue of infant baptism versus adult baptism, uh, the Anabaptist movement developed, and they had five original tenets, and one, of course, was, you know, adult baptism, the other was sending out evangelists or missionaries, and, and several, and, and some other uh, tenets. And they received quite a bit of persecution from the Roman Catholic Church as well as from Protestants. Mm -hmm. And then out of the Anabaptist movement came Jacob Amon, and his followers were called Amon Amish. And so Jacob Amon, um, he agreed with all these five Anabaptist tenets, but he also believed there needed to be more emphasis on shunning, and that is uh, turning away from those who have left the fold, and so he actually even moved away from the Mennonites. And that's why you have Mennonites and you have Amish, and they look similar, but their belief system and their behaviors are very, very different, actually. But they do share that heritage of being like Anabaptist cousins. Mm -hmm. Well, over the uh, centuries, and the Amish are only about three or 400 years old, really. Over these centuries, they became more oriented towards tradition, shunning, uh, being, you know, in unity, solidarity, and tradition began to replace, tradition and rules began to replace any uh, inner faith, any in, uh, independence or individual thinking. And so today, especially with the Schwarzenegger Amish, uh, you can take away their Bible and they'll continue to exist. Because the ordnung, their rule book, is what keeps them unified. What are you doing about faith with your, with your adopted ex-Amish? Well, one of the first things that I do, and you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not one that you know beats them over the head with a Bible. I know people who do that. It's like you know, they're like a magnet, and they just stick to an ex-Amish and beat them over the head with the Bible. Tell them they got to get saved, then they got to get baptized, then they got to join the church. Well, hello, that's exactly what the Amish tell them. You have to be baptized, you have to join the church, but they're speaking of Amish baptism, Amish joining the church. So if you do that on the outside, you're not a whole lot different. It's just a different name. Mm -hmm. So I believe in modeling and showing love and showing patience and showing my faith in God who's greater than me and cares about my problems. And I also quote to them that verse that God, that man looks on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart mm. and only God knows what's in your heart. So it doesn't matter if you dress a certain way or you drive a buggy or you have horses or you live on a farm. God, God don't look at those things. Those are the outward. God looks to your heart. And then I also 
share with them eventually as time allows and I feel I've earned the right to share. I will uh, let them know that, you know, we need to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not of our works. It's not of what we do because then we could boast, well, I'm a better person than you because I followed all these rules and you didn't. It's not the outward appearance. It's not rules. It's faith in God and God's the one who gives the gift of salvation. And it's real hard for them to wrap their head around that. They've had 18 years of indoctrination. And is it frightening to them to think that because they've broken these rules that they may not have salvation, the salvation that they were raised Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of them struggle. A lot Mm -hmm. of them struggle many, many years on the outside that well, maybe I really am going to hell because I'm no longer Amish. Mm. They really hang their hat. They hang their hat. They hang their salvation on if if I'm Amish or not. And even a year after Monroe and Sarah left the Amish, the Schwartz and Truber order, the mother just recently, and she doesn't speak to them, but she broke her silence to say, you're going to hell because you've left the Amish. Do any of them go back after several years? I've known a few who've gone back. Um, Andy's father was a bishop, and Andy and his brother, Yura, left. And their father, the bishop, actually shunned himself when they both left. I've never heard of that, but evidently that happens. Um, so I'm like, how do you shun yourself? You don't look at yourself? You don't feed yourself? I don't, I don't know how you don't do that. Um, but Andy uh, was so incredibly homesick. And, you know, it's so hard for them to live without anything because parents have always provided everything, you know, clothes, transportation, decisions, yeah. everything. The parents did everything. Yeah. Um, so they were incredibly sheltered. So Andy really yearned to go back. And first time he went back was two weeks and he left again. And then and <laughs> he and I got to thinking about it. He went back again, you know, because that's where the food, good food is and everything's provided. But he only stayed a week. They just cannot adapt to this load of guilt and this conforming and the rules once they've had a taste of freedom and and knowing that, you know, your salvation is a gift of God. It's not anything you can work for or earn. Mm. Um, And then our son, Mosey, there was a couple times he very seriously entertained the idea of going back. And I think part of it is they're just sometimes times swimming around in this sea of uncertainty and overwhelmed with choices and so different than what they would had for you know all their growing up years yeah yeah i was i was wondering if the life is so difficult why do they stay and obviously they do stay you 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 said you know out of two two sets of the um, boys that you know have come from families of 12 and they're the only ones that have yep. left so obviously they're staying maybe it's the fear of hell I think in many cases they do fear that they're going to hell if they leave because that's what they're told mm. all the time mm. through their parents um, at church through the bishops they're told you're going to go to hell if you leave the Amish they really hang their hat on whether you're Amish or not mm. Well, Brenda, you've been talking to us um, wonderfully and very openly about um, how, what you what you have learned with your Amish experience, and you're going to be taking what you know out to a wider audience. Tell us about that. Well, this fall, and I'm not sure the date, but the Knox County Career Center 
in Knox County, Ohio, mm-hmm. asked me to uh, share one evening on the Schwartz and Truber Amish, which is what I have my experience in and, and what I try to narrow my comments to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I actually have a suitcase of clothing that was given to our son-in-law, Harvey, mm-hmm. by his mother. Mm-hmm. And I let my audience members actually look at fingers, smell, examine these charming little homemade Amish clothes, the little overalls and the shirts. And I have a couple of the ladies' caps. And I have the homemade straw hat that my son-in-law wore the night he snuck out of the Amish. Mm. And it's just so intimate to get you know, to be able to touch and look and understand the clothing. And it also helps you to understand some of their rules. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, to me, it just gives me an affinity to be close to these homemade things. You know, it's like, you know, a mother's heart. But as I'm sharing the clothing, I'm also able to share some of the beliefs and the behaviors of the Swartz and Truber order and, you know, why they do what they do. And so it's very educational, but it's also hands-on. It's it's interesting. It's fun. It's only going to be like a two-hour presentation. But if, if people wanted to hear that, they would have to check in with the Knox County Career Center Adult Education. And they can go online and find that. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be recorded? Are you going to record it? No. Unfortunately, it's not recorded. Um, now, I spoke at a library in Knox County, Ohio, um, last fall, and they did record it, mm-hmm. but they've been very, very slow to give me a copy of that recording. <laughs> well, maybe you could get your video camera or an iPhone or something have somebody in the audience, you know, just recording you. <laughs> yeah, do, that would be excellent. Yeah, yeah. Get, get one of your one of your boys to do that. Yeah. A That's a good them. idea, and then that could be available to people who yeah. want to get more of a cultural literacy about yeah. the Amish yeah. people. So, Brenda, you have a blog called Beyond oh, yeah. Buggies and Bonnets. Tell us the name. Tell us how, how you came up with the name. Well, um, I kind of brainstormed with a very dear friend of mine who, who is a multi-published author. And since it's mostly about those who have left, I want people to think of these Amish people more than just buggies and bonnets because there's so much more to these people than buggies and bonnets. And mm-hmm. so there's the name beyond buggies and bonnets. But then also it's a play on words because if it's about the ex-Amish, those who have left that, they have moved beyond the buggies and bonnets to define their life. Mm-hmm. And I blog about once a week, once every two weeks. Um, I have a lot of subscribers and I have... Oh, right now I have about 90,000 hits on the website so or uh, the blog site. So people are coming from around the world to read about this because they're learning about the culture, but they're getting an inside peek behind this most insular and backwards order. Uh, these are the ones who drive the black buggies, and they don't use any kind of safety features. They don't use that little uh, SMV triangle that reflects their belief system is that if they get hit and killed, that was God's will. So they don't put any safety v- uh, features on their buggies. And they can drive into town and it's legal? Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
So give it, give us some idea of some of the practical ways that you've discovered in helping a former Amish adjust to the English life. Say I met somebody and they needed help. What, what could I do practically? Well, the first thing I do is ask, which order are you? Because okay. that will give you volumes of information. Mm-hmm. And it's not offensive to say, what order are you? Because it'd be like somebody saying to an American, what state do you come from? Okay. It's just, you know, matter of fact. Uh, and they could be the very progressive order that uh, does not practice a lot of shunning and and they have a relationship with their family and they used a little bit of electricity. And so, you know, they might fare very well. Uh, they could be old order, old order, and they did not have a lot of electricity, but maybe they worked at a business that did. So, again, you just have to find out, first of all, what order they're from. It's as different as if, you know, you were uh, – from Montana or from New York City. I mean, there's great differences. Uh, then I would ask what they what they need. Do they have a place to live? Do they have a job? Do they have their Social Security number, their birth certificate? Do they have transportation? Uh, if they don't have uh, transportation, they're going to need to, first of all, learn to drive. And then they're going to have to uh, get driver's license. And then they're going to have to have a job in order to have the money to buy a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So just a lot of beginning things. What's the, what, what do you think people should know about the Amish? Because we have, as I said last time we spoke, we have these preconceived, well, I do anyway, ideas about the Amish. What, what is one of the most important things that people need to know? Well, I would encourage them to get to know the person. I mean, the Amish have preconceived notions of English life. Yeah, sure. And when they get into our life on a day-to-day basis, they find out maybe the English aren't what they thought either. Mm. So get to know the person, the human being, and uh, try to reach out as a friend. And eventually you'll earn that right to talk about personal issues. You'll be able to find out what their real needs are. And so that, that... that would be my first and biggest thing is just reach out to them, be a friend. You don't know what their preconception of English life is. No, we're all terrible sinners because we love convenience, <laughs> don't we? I mean, it's, it is a con- such an opposite <laughs> yeah. culture, isn't it? Because we, we thrive on convenience. Yeah. I say, what about fast food? That must be something that they're not used to. No, they're not. Uh, Harvey, who's 30. 31, married, has five children. He'd never gone through a fast food restaurant. Right. So uh, I was with him one day. Now, he's since left the Yamish. But I was with him and uh, said, hey, let's drive through a fast food restaurant. He did not know how to use the drive through right. So I was the one who got to teach him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then my husband taught Monroe how to ride a bicycle because uh-huh. fortune troopers uh, outlaw bicycles. Bicycles, you know, they're worldly because they have rubber wheels. So mm-hmm. my husband got to teach Monroe how to ride a bicycle. We taught him how to play volleyball and softball. That's great. I mean, you know, just just wonderful that. I suppose they've just grown up working because if you had to go out to work after eighth grade, that's that's really pretty much half their lives when they've left at eighteen. Yeah. That's they've spent yep. half their lives out there working, not yep. had an awful lot of time to be children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Brenda, thank you so much for your time. I've got your um, website linked on both of my pages, so it's really easy for people to go find you. In fact, you can find Brenda Nixon just by typing in Brenda Nixon's name, and up it will come. Um, Her blog, Beyond Buggies and Bonnets. 
go visit her at her website, find out more about the Amish, read the comments underneath what she writes, because those are just as interesting. And um, thank you so much, Brenda, and you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much again for inviting me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye, Vivian. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I've been talking to Brenda Nixon, parenting expert and popular keynote speaker at events and workshops in 10 states. Brenda and her husband opened up their hearts and home to the ex-Amish boys they now call sons. We heard stories about how they helped teenage boys and girls transition into English life under their guidance. We talked about education and faith and what the future looked like for these young people. Brenda is also the author-contributor to more than 30 books, her favorites being The Birth to Five book and Miracles and Moments of Grace. You can find her at Brenda Nixon on Amish. Dot blogspot.com, which I have linked on my site and my front page at Toginet. I know you enjoyed our informative conversation and hope you are inspired to go and visit Brenda online to learn more. I have a little cautionary tale to tell this week about the consequences of neglecting your health. Dort's got what she thought was a bite on the back of her hand. She told me it was a spider bike though how she fathomed that is a mystery, as she didn't witness the nipping. She just saw and felt the result, a little bump that itched like crazy. Over the course of a week it got worse, and she sent us photographic updates on texts until we had quite a gallery of swelling hand portraits. Finally, several days later, her hand was ballooning. No amount of soaking, neosporin or band-aids offered any relief. On the sixth day, my blue-eyed cowboy, her blue-eyed dad, took her to an emergency care clinic where she was told she had a staph infection. Oops! She had it numbed, lanced, and drained, just like a boil, she said. When she came over with her hand bandaged twice its size, the doctor said it could have been a scratch or a bite which she'd itched and infected with dirty fingernails. He gave her a prescription for very expensive antibiotics, which we bought on top of paying for the clinic bill, but 
the following day, her hand was even worse, and her bosses, both doctors, said how bad it looked and advised her not to mess with hands, suggesting a hospital visit and a plastic surgeon. Curious, I asked, how many of the antibiotics she'd taken? None, was her reply. She hadn't food in the flat and didn't want to take them on an empty stomach. How does a mother react to that? Not too gracefully, gracefully on this side, I'm afraid. After telling her that a cracker or two, which she had, counted as food, and that she should have taken at least three by now, she returned to the clinic, which cost us another examination, and received another course of meds to take in conjunction with the original prescription, plus some hydrocodone for pain relief. She started on the medication and things started to happen fast. She was able to coax more poison out of her festering bump, which eased the pressure. And of course, we emphasized the wisdom of hygiene. And now, a week later, she has a bruised hand, but is well on the way to recovery. Band-Aids are her best friends to keep, keep out germs now. Don't take your health for granted. A tiny bump can turn into a mountain pretty fast when neglected. Renee Tugar, my friend who lived up on the Gaspé Peninsula in Quebec, and her family are through hiking the Appalachian Trail. She posted the other day an answer to a question that has been asked many times during her lead-up to their Beyond Our Boundaries adventure. How do they afford to take off from life for six months? We're not talking about life-life. We're talking about, like, life living in a house, doing homeschooling, cooking in a stove, having a kitchen table, going out skiing and that. Anyway, her answer was, we became homeless to help defray the cost. On reading this, I thought, well, that's what my southern gentleman and I have done. And all our friends need to be aware of this because so many of them are looking at us and following a couple of trains of thoughts such as, obviously, you don't need to work or you have enough money now so you can go ahead and spoil yourselves. We're not just able to take off because we've had a windfall. On the contrary, we've sold our residence and no longer have day-to-day -day upkeep to budget for, so we're able to translate that into travelling for a while. Bear in mind that we will still eventually need a home, so why would I consider spending my future bricks and mortar money on frivolities? But it is rather nice being able to go to somebody else's house and look after their pets and we don't have to pay a mortgage or utilities just our food. As I said in one of my blogs, our lifestyle at the moment is the epitome of being green. By not owning our own home and living in someone else's, we're reducing our carbon footprint, to use an ecological phrase. While I was living at the Hawthorne Suites in Richardson, I rediscovered a rather decent walk which I'll miss perhaps. In Florida, I'm sure I'll find some lovely places to explore with the dogs, including a nearby beach. My children asked me where I walked, knowing my habit of walking every day, and on being told it was at the park where we used to ride our bikes back before empty nest, we used to take picnic lunches and snack on Cadbury cream eggs during Eastertide, they flung memories at me. Malia and I only used to agree to go because it would get us out of going to ballet, said Paris. Remember the tree I ran into, asked Malia. The snake in the undergrowth that half scared me to death, death, said Simon. Yes, I remember them all, and I'd reminisce each time I walked the pathways through the trees. We used to shout as we rode under this bridge, remembered Paris, when we walked together last week. It made a lovely loud echo. 
those were good memories and the pathways have been extended so go a lot further now although once out of the dense interior where we used to cycle the pathways the traffic noise increases so I tended to stick to the quieter more familiar routes going to the dollar movie is also such a treat we've seen three films that are long overdue the book thief Philomena and Gravity, all of them excellent. The last one about outer space, though, was a little uncomfortable, as I could imagine the terror of free-floating in space, and it was a pretty good story. Had me on the edge of my seat most of the time. Well, that's it for another week. Once again, I've astounded myself by the fleetingness of time. We're on the brink of our dream and ecstatic, so you'll want to tune in next week and find out how everything is going. We're driving and listening to a book on tape written by a homeschooler, Aragon by Christopher Paolini. Then we'll be settling in with two dogs, so keep us in your prayers and thank you for listening to The Sociable Homeschooler, where I bring you an assortment of homeschoolers to help bust the stereotype and encourage you on your journey or to make your decision to join us. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next week. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer Sabrina, my guest Brenda Nixon, and you, my faithful listeners. So stay tuned to Toginet all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.